Good morning. Our second scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And before I read, I would actually like to point out that at this point in Jesus' ministry, this is the first really, like things had started to take off. People were starting to, starting to follow, starting to pick up. And he turns around and he sees that like, okay, there's a big crowd here. So he goes up. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He goes up so that he can speak. So this is a point in his, we'll say in his ministry when people are starting to really, really get it. They're starting to really follow. So this is, a, this is the first words that he has to say to kind of a large audience. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Beloved God, we thank you. We thank you for the blessings that you pour upon us always. We thank you mostly today for those blessings that come in disguise. For those blessings that stir up parts of ourselves that make us uncomfortable. For those blessings that stir up parts of ourselves that we are invited to see, to hold, and to honor. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the life and word of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak, and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. So it occurred to me just now, as I was starting to read, after giving that introduction, that after years of sitting with this text, I'm not actually quite sure who the audience is. Because as I was just reading, I've always read this text as Jesus going up to the mountain and speaking to these large crowds as they are there. 
And yet just now, as I've been sitting with this text for quite some time and very acutely this week, what stood out to me was that he sat down. And then I'm like, that doesn't sound like you would, that doesn't sound like you're talking to a big group of people. That sounds like, depending, maybe you are, right now I'm talking to a big group of people. But then I just wondered as I read it, is he taking the disciples up the mountain with him and sitting them down to give them a pep talk before they go out and address these huge crowds that are there? It literally has never occurred to me until just now. Don't you love it when the Spirit does that? When she humbles you right in front of a group of people and you're like, well, I don't know where this is going to go. I think it's going to go the same place, but I think it's important to actually take that in, in either way. Is he sitting with the disciples saying, you are going out and you're going to have a lot of challenges that come your way. So be prepared and know that there is a blessing in all of this. Or is he saying to this huge crowd who's following him, who sees in him a balm to the suffering, to the challenges, to the persecutions that they are experiencing. And as he, is, he is saying to them, in all of this, God is present too. I think the answer is yes to both. I think that whether he is with his disciples or he is with the crowds, what he is saying is God is here with you. God is here with you. Earlier this week, I was on a call with a cohort of apprentices, the apprenticeship cohort for new worshiping communities. It sounds a lot more official than it is when I say apprenticeship cohort. But it's a group of other new worshiping community leaders around, um, around the country who are all starting new worshiping communities. And somebody posed the question, what is a word that you have always mispronounced until just recently in your life? And I raised my hand immediately because I was sitting with this text all week. And I said, all my childhood, I thought that the Beatitudes were the beautitudes. I always read beautiful, like, because I didn't know attitudes. I mean, I didn't, like, Beatitudes didn't occur to me. It was always that I read it as the beatitudes. And I may have been in college or seminary before I realized they were, like, I carried this a long, long time. I didn't share that with the group. <laughs> um, but um, but it's, it's interesting to me because as I sit with this text and as I sit with this passage, and especially I think at this time, what's really lifted up to me is that all of the things that Jesus is talking about bring about suffering. Like he is talking about things that bring suffering in different ways. Mourning brings suffering. Being a peacemaker brings suffering. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness brings suffering. And it occurred to me that what I think this message, at least for today, is inviting us to see is our suffering and to really have an honest conversation about our suffering. I was having a text exchange earlier this week with somebody who is a seminary student right now going through the, the process and the journey of seminary. And they, they, they asked me about, and I'm sort of keeping them anonymous because it seems helpful because you know a number of different people in seminary in different ways. 
But they were, they were asking me about suffering. We were talking about suffering, and they brought up this question of theodicy. Has anybody heard this word theodicy before? So theodicy is something that we talk about in seminary that kind of comes up that, that sort of wrestles with three things. And the first is that if God is all good and God is all powerful and there is suffering in this world, how do those three things coexist? How is it that God is all powerful? How is it that God is all good? And how is it that suffering exists? And you wrestle with this question. You wrestle with how does that happen? How do we make sense of the world today? In the last month especially, I don't know how to make sense of the kind of suffering that is happening in Palestine right now, between Israel and Palestine right now. I do not know how in this body to make sense of that kind of suffering. And in the same way, there are day-to-day sufferings, things that happen all the time, atrocities that happen all the time. People suffer on a day-to-day basis in little ways, in big ways. And it occurred to me recently that part of this challenge is that we don't actually know how to incorporate that suffering into the fullness of all that is life. We have a culture so often that tells us that we need to avoid suffering at all costs. Stay comfortable, keep things easy, don't create conflict. Peacemaker and peacekeeper are very different things. I want to just lift that up. To keep the peace is very different than to make peace. To make peace assumes and acknowledges that there is a lack of peace, that there is conflict, that there is challenge, that there is turmoil. You don't want to step into that situation and say, I'm just here to keep the peace. We are here to make the peace. Those are different things. Keeping the peace often keeps the quiet. It often keeps us pushed down. But even more, it often keeps all of those feelings that we have going on inside pushed down. We don't know what to do with our suffering because we we haven't been taught how to hold space for suffering. But the reality is that suffering is a part of life. It is. It's just how this mechanism works. It's interesting, too, because so often, as I think maybe most of us would say, as you look back on some of the periods of your life when you suffered the most, how often can you look back and say, oh my gosh, I learned so much from that time period. I am so glad I don't have to live it over again, but I learned so much about myself, about my neighbors, about God. So often in those moments of our greatest suffering, when we allow ourselves to vocalize it, when we allow ourselves to name it, so often we find that people will show up for us. It may not look the way that we want it to. It may not be clean and pretty. It may not be easy, but they do. But what I found is that the more that I want to minimize or even just not name or not honor when I'm having a hard time, then when the bigger stuff comes up that I am less equipped to deal with it. I think part of the reason so many of us are struggling to have really honest conversations about the conflict going on right now between Israel and Palestine is that we don't know how to sit with our own discomfort around it. 
We don't know how to sit with our own discomfort about the day-to-day things that we face. And I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I want to name this. I'm learning how to lean in to the discomfort there and how to say, let us have an honest conversation about this. But we don't even know where to begin. And so then as we start looking at history, we find this is really, really painful and complicated and difficult, even if the circumstances are also are, um, less so. And by that I mean, don't we all want people to live? Don't we all want to value the sanctity of human life? It occurs to me more and more looking around at the world right now that we are at a place where we have two options. And mind you, I am not a binary thinker at all. But we have two ways where I think we can kind of go with this. And the first is that we destroy each other. Things escalate. We build up our arms. We send more and more money to war. They escalate. We've got trigger itchy, itchy trigger fingers holding right over nuclear arsenals right now. The other way is that we all put down our weapons. All of us. And it makes sense that the people with the most weapons would put them down first. It is not easy to be a peacemaker. And yet as I sit and I think, what does a world look like if we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is there not space for every single one of us there? And when I'm honest with myself, There has to be space for every single one of us there. Because the truth is that God is in every single one of us. Religion may tell us differently, but Jesus does not. One of the things that I've been sitting with this week, the Jewish theologian Elie Wiesel tells this story in his his, um, seminal book, Night about this, um, and folks are nodding, when you talk about where is God in this, and it's the story of the gallows, where um, a Nazi soldier is hanging a Jewish child, and you say, where is God in this? And Wiesel said, God is in the gallows. God is there hanging. And that always struck me as so powerful. And what's been interesting is that in the last week, I've seen videos of survivors of the Holocaust calling for the complete annihilation of the Palestinian people. See, what happens is that if we don't actually address the trauma that the kind of pain of the Holocaust brings, if we don't address that kind of trauma, if we want to try to placate it, if we want to try to keep the peace, If we want to try to say, okay, you go there, you take this, it's all good. Everything's fine. We're not going to deal with the history here because we don't know how to deal with that kind of pain. Then what happens is we end up revisiting that same kind of pain again and again and again. You cannot tell me that God is less present in that Holocaust survivor now than God was present 75 years ago. 
the uncomfortable truth and the uncomfortable thing for us, even when we look at Eli Wiesel's story and where I think he missed this or where I think we need to sit with, is that God is just as present in that soldier doing the hanging as God is in that child. Now, they don't know that, obviously. If we don't know how to sit with the pain and suffering, we do not know how to get into the space of really fully understanding what it means to be children of God. But we have to start by being willing to sit with the uncomfortable things. But what's beautiful about it is that when we do start to sit with the uncomfortable things, we start to realize that God is there too. We start to realize that suffering is a part of what it is to be in existence. We start to see it in a new way. And then it starts to minimize its impact on how we see ourselves. So there's a real change. And then as we begin to sit with that discomfort, we begin to learn that it's part of life. It's part of what happens. We start to have room and energy for other things. So instead of our suffering turning into resentment and despair and frustration and tightening down, it instead softens us. We start to see that our suffering is the greatest point of empathy we so often have with others. And we see that in that suffering, in that despair, God too is present. And then that despair actually turns into joy, to gratitude. I think I've sat up here before and talked a number of times about the greatest gifts I never wanted. Those painful, difficult things that have happened in life that I'm like, I did not want them. And it was just this morning as I was spending time again with this, this text Maybe it was last night, but I was sitting and I said, oh no, I did want them. I didn't know it, but I did, and I do. I am so grateful. So even saying I didn't want those things feels to me like missing the point because it has all come back to this place of gratitude. So now I'm more willing to look for God in even the most dismal of situations in even the most despicable of people. And it turns out God shows up every time in the softening of my heart, in my willingness to hear others, in my willingness to see God everywhere. As it's All Saints Day, I wanna offer just briefly that so often when God shows up to us, God shows up in the spirits, in the presence of those who have departed. They are with us always, always sending us little messages, little nudges. I've talked about these a lot. The reason I talk about them a lot is an invitation for you to open your eyes and to look around at the world going on around you, to see the ways in which God is moving through everything going on. And I'd like to close this morning with one story that actually happened just today on the drive here. As Salonia and I were driving, we were talking about, I don't, actually we were just sort of catching up, talking about the wild things God is doing in different ways. 
And I interrupted Salonia briefly and pointed at the, the license plate just in front of us and said, oh, it's 333. It's like a good sign. You see three numbers, it's like angel numbers, people will say. Or it's just a little signal. This happens again and again, so trust me, it's a thing that keeps happening. What I take them as are little affirmations. Little affirmations from the universe. I actually like to think it's my dad saying hello. My dad just sending these little messages, keep going, whatever. So I pointed out to Salonia and feel a little embarrassed because I just interrupted her. But, and so I say that. So we're following 333. And then 333, this car turns at the stoplight. We pull and the car immediately in front of that, sure enough, wouldn't you know, 444. And I'm like, Salonia, did you see? And then I felt better that I'd interrupted Salonia because she got to see the 333 and then the 444. So we're then circling around on Malvern. We're going, we're just about to get to the stoplight at Broad and we look in the car in front of us, wouldn't you know, 555. About four minutes, we get a three, four, five. I don't need to understand angel numbers. We don't need to Google them. To me, what I hear there is this playful affirmation, this playful sign. Would I have noticed it if I wasn't looking? No. Would it have been there anyway? Yes. But as I relax, as I open myself up to looking for that presence of God everywhere, again, it turns out God shows up. What changes is my perception. You're like, is that just a coincidence? Is that just whatever? You're attributing that to God. Yes, I am. I am absolutely attributing it to God. And I'm going to do it again and again and again. Because that's working. Because I got those three, four, five. So I'm going to go with that. You can say coincidence, whatever. God will work through coincidence. So as we go today, as you step out into the world, what I would like for you to take with you is two things. One is to honor your suffering. And I, don't, and I mean just to say, I'm having a hard time. Start there. To say, this is painful. This is difficult. This is hard. This is scary. Give yourself the chance to name that. And two, Know that as you do, God is absolutely there to hold the space for whatever it is you bring. God is blessing you in and through all of it. Always. Amen.